turn to our series of contemplations on the cross. And we come to Paul's statement in Galatians 6.14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Consider a moment the broader context of that statement, Galatians 6, 11 to 18. Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves, who are circumcised, keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they might glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, or nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And all God's people say, Amen. Father, this morning we pause before thy holy word to think upon the significance and the centrality of the cross of Jesus Christ regarding our faith, regarding our hope, and regarding our specified love. It is by no means generic. Churches like ours at times do suffer because of shallow embrace. People who have heard something of the gift of Christ at the cross are quick to believe without understanding, engaging in some kind of a prayerful response, inviting, as it were, an unknown Jesus into the heart, only to fall away and to live in misery and sin. Help us today as we think about Paul's great gospel declaration in the cross to see it in the context of a specified faith, a certain hope, and a precise love for Jesus Christ our Lord in the death that he died for our sins, 
and in the life that he now lives. Help every believer here to understand the walk. The walk with the Lord that yields a peace and a mercy and a value of relationship that is beyond compare. Help us then to respond to the text with meaning and understanding. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Doing or done. It's all about doing or it's all about done. All religious thought can be summarized by doing or done. The only two big ideas of world religion are that of doing or done. Human achievement, what you do, or divine rescue, done. The vast majority of all religious expression is driven by the promotion of human achievement, whether specified or unspecified. Good works, righteousness. Was the brutal suggestion of Satan in the garden when he lied to Adam and Eve, saying, Ye shall be as gods. Works righteousness was the attempt that we see in Adam when crafting with Eve those fig leaves after sin. As we have often said, religion is by and large defined by those fig leaves. You don't need religion. You need Christ. Amen. You don't need some kind of quasi-generic, childlike expression of a prayer. You need the reality of Christ dying for your sins on the cross. And how it is that you can receive that and believe that and know the joy of sins forgiven. And then get busy with your walk. And walking with the Lord is the only way of peace and mercy and the right identification of the people with the children of Israel of old. Verse 16 in the text. Paul calls attention in this glorious little epistle to the exclusive truth of God-initiated rescue. Paul makes it clear it's not about what you do. It is about what Christ has done. Thus we are those numbered among the religious few that depend not upon human achievement, but upon the divine accomplishment of Christ. The question is never, how well are you doing? The question is, how well has Christ done? Amen. That is alone the basis of our salvation. 
When Paul saw the churches established in the gospel of Christ threatened by false teaching and the rise of a renewed emphasis upon human achievement, he wrote this epistle to the Galatians as a tool for correction. Paul called attention to the fact that at the very last, I should say the very least, these last words of the letter are written in his own hand, evident in the change of writing style. An amanuensis, a secretary or scribe, was commonly used in the process of communication. But because forgeries were such a deal, long before AI, people were faking it. People were especially faking it in the name of God in Christ. And so there had to be some steps taken to eliminate the idea of forgeries. And in this case, Paul took up the pen to write in his own, in his own words, in his own letters, big letters, by the way, so that the church of Galatia would know, oh, this came from Paul, for sure. Look at those large letters. And then by identifying himself clearly with the message here of emphasis, the Apostle Paul runs us through what can only be described as the totality of the believer's life. And it runs, in my mind, along five P words. The first word being problem. The problem. The problem addressed in this letter primarily focused upon the ungodly influence of false teachers. The characteristics of those false teachers are rehearsed in verses 12 and 13. The word behind the phrase, desire to make a fair show, is only found this once in the New Testament, but it is found outside the Bible plenty to speak of politicians and businessmen seeking to win community response. It speaks of targeting people for one's own self-purpose. Hence, the phrase is popular among ancient political speech and in the community of business speech. If you study that portion of this end of Galatians, you come to understand that the false teachers were self-serving. They were motivated by their own ease and comforts and that they took pride in the number of people that were following them, it took pride in the amount of funding that they, could, uh, that they could garner. And so both sides of the problem are rehearsed again at the close of this letter to underscore uh, the error of those false teachers and the foolishness of listening to pastors and teachers like them. That brings us to the word proclamation. In a stark, sharp contrast to the Judaizers, the Apostle Paul boasted only in the cross and the gospel of Christ. Paul said, but God forbid that I, the I here is Paul. Paul said, I am not in any way excited, proud, or boasting in anything that I bring to the table. I am, I am only glorying in the cross of 
the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. His boast was not in achievements, though he had plenty, nor in the number of converts, though he had plenty, though in the number of the people that were supporting his ministry, although he had much. He boasted exclusively in the accomplishments of God the Son at the cross. Isn't it strange that here we are in 2023 America and so few people really grasp the precise and correct meaning of the cross? Everybody loves amazing grace and nobody, it seems, knows what that means. And we do sing amazing grace and it is amazing because of my sin and yours that God would care a lick about any of us. But God in Christ loved us. God in Christ died to save us. God in Christ secures us in time and for eternity. That's the proclamation of the whole congregation at the table of the Lord. These elements, the broken bread, representative of his body, given on our behalf in death, the cup, representative of his shed blood, establishing the new covenant in his blood, being the sole basis of our right standing before God. You are reconciled to God by the vicarious or substitutionary death and shedding of blood of Christ or you are not reconciled to God. Saved by grace, through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. We preach this message at the table of the Lord. If you leave this hour and you say, I heard Pastor Teal today, you'd be wrong. Because in this hour, the whole congregation does this in remembrance they eat this bread and they drink this cup and in so doing, show, proclaim, declare, preach the truth of the cross for your sins. That you might believe. The third word is power. The cross is the power of God unto salvation in all three facets. Saved, saved, and saved. Paul's expression of truth in 14b has to do with his testimony of practical deadness to the world and to sin. I'm saved. I know it. Should I die today, I'll be with the Lord. But I'm being saved today because I am not yet perfect. And sin is still a struggle in my life. 
as it is in yours. And so God is saving me, even though I am saved. He's saving me. He's giving me the power of his spirit as I walk with the Lord in the light of his word over the appeal of my own flesh. That's why in verse 16 Paul says, as many as walk according to this rule. That's why as believers who know for sure that they place their faith in Jesus Christ, is why as believers we constantly hammer the importance of walking with the Lord in the light of his word. Because only by walking with the Lord can we indeed live a life of honor and glory to God. Romans 6 exhorts believers to reckon themselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God by the practical appropriation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fourth word here is principle. Principle. The word walk depicts a group activity in order, rank, and formation. Everyone that marches to the beat of the gospel under the Spirit's control is in line, verse 16, for God's peace, for God's mercy, and for identification upon those as the Israel of God, God's ancient people called the Israel of God. And as New Testament believers, we enter in relationship with God, the God of Israel, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, by faith. It is believed that Paul's nomenclature here, Israel of God, uh, is taken uh, in such a way uh, to be helpful to those Jewish believers in Galatia who potentially would be the most offended because of Paul's assault upon the Jewish teachers, particularly those that were constantly hammering the importance of circumcision, or if you will, something you have to do in order to be right with God. The last word is the word position and peace. Having spoken of the Lord's peace for those in line, Paul concludes with two related thoughts. First, he expects there to be peace now between him and the Galatian churches to whom he wrote. And then second, Paul speaks of his own battle scars, his own relationship with Christ and authority as apostle that was borne out by the fact that he had taken it in the flesh to the glory of God. Paul said, verse 17, from henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the stigma, the marks of the Lord Jesus. The word marks refers to brand marks. We live in a society that has all kinds of tattoos all over it. Well, that tattoo would be a, 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 a good illustration of the idea here of, of brand marks or the stigma marks, as it were. Paul's own physical body was marked by difficulties endured in the honor of Christ. 
And he says here that his, his testimony of his own body is that he is owned by Christ. Your life is not your own. You have been bought with a price. This, of course, plays off the idea of circumcision once again. Jewish people were physically marked as gods by circumcision under the law. Paul forwards the thought that he is marked as gods by physical hardships endured for the gospel's sake. May it never be that you and I glory in any other thing for salvation, for sanctification, for security in all eternity than the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this moment, the whole congregation preaches the emphasis of Paul in Galatians 6.14. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world.